Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. We're in our series, Rise Above, and it's all about how the church is called to be an overcomer. Every letter that he writes uh, to these churches in the book of Revelation, it contains seven letters within them to the seven different churches. And it always ends with this thought, to him who overcomes, I will do this and I will do that. And there's a great reward that God has for the overcomer. Aren't you thankful you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you are an overcomer in him? Not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done for us. And so we've been looking at these letters together. Now I gotta be honest with you, some of these letters are hard. And just they were even hard to preach and hard to receive and we're going wow there was because there were some very dysfunctional churches in Asia right around the time uh, Jesus speaks to these churches and he has a word for each one of those churches and and some of those words were very hard because one church had lost their lost love another church was tolerating Jezebel and false teachings in their midst another church was guilty of compromise they were compromised and the last church he just said Sardis was just spiritually dead there was no life in that church and so there was uh, there was some hard words there and yet I think every time we read the word of God we need to say Lord what do you want to share with me what warning is there for my life and what can I learn from this? But I've got good news for you today. The church we're going to talk about is a very positive, exciting, encouraging church. So we have a very encouraging word for you today. It's the church at Philadelphia and it's the church of the open door. And so we're going to look at this together. So let's stand together and we're going to read Revelation 3 and beginning with verse 7. And I, I really think of all the churches, Faith Church is most like Philadelphia. I'm glad to report that today. We, this is an awesome church that you are a part of and make up. And so I really think we can identify with this church at Philadelphia. It says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. I see I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make of those who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them to come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you since you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will come and take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will I leave it. I will write on him a name of my God in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, today we... Thank you for your word. We thank you first for your sweet presence today. Now I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will speak through the word of God, that you'll speak to our hearts today. You'll challenge Faith Church to what you want us to do, to the open doors before us. And we love you, God, and we give you all glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. 
Now, we know Philadelphia, and I'm not talking about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And, and by the way, anybody, uh, Eagles fans in here, Philadelphia kind of uh, did it all last year. I thought I'd get a little response there. This is not that Philadelphia. I'm sorry. They don't have the Eagles or Carson Wentz. But uh, an amazing church nonetheless, and, and they, uh, they literally means the brotherly love. Uh, love of the brothers. So Philadelphia, and that's why we know the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is the city of brotherly love. Prosperous city known for its vineyards, but it's, it's known for strategic location. It, it's on a location out of Rome heading, heading uh, east into, the, into Asia. And so it's very crucial point uh, where they're located today. And, and, and it was kind of the, the gateway to the east. It was a launching point for the Greco-Roman culture going east. And so God's truly set before this church an open door. There's an open door of opportunity that is going to be absolutely incredible to take the gospel on into Asia. And he says, because you've been faithful, he says, even though you have little strength, I'm going to use you mightily and I'm setting before this church an open door. And it would be strong because they kept his word. Now he talks about their faith. So what is going to happen is Jesus is going to remind them of his faithfulness to them. And he's going to give them this incredible word of encouragement that I just read to you. And so let's talk about how awesome and how great Jesus Christ is. That'd be okay this morning. First of all, in verse seven, it says, I am he that is holy and true. Now, now, when he identifies himself as holy and true, he is actually saying, I am God. I want you to know, Jesus Christ is fully God. Because no one can claim to be holy but God alone. And because he is holy, there is no more holiness that can be added unto him or taken away from him. He is the personification of holiness. He is always holy, always has been, always will be, because God, Jesus Christ, is the one who is holy. Awesome. He, he says in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord. I change not. There's nothing we can do to add to his holiness. Nothing can be taken away from it. It is absolute holiness. Jesus Christ is holy in his character. He is holy in his words. He is holy in his action. He is holy in his purposes. He is fully holy. And then he says, I am true. I'm genuine. I am the original. I am not a copy. I am the real deal. And that, that was good to know in Philadelphia because they had all these gods, false gods and false idols they would bow down to and worship. But while all those are false, he is the one true God and everything he says or ever will say is totally and absolutely true. I am holy and I am true. 1 John 5, 20. And we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So since he is holy and true, he can never be unfaithful. He is, he's promising to be faithful to that church who had shown faith themselves. We can depend entirely on him at any time, in any place, in any situation. He is totally dependable. He is totally faithful. Why? Because he is holy and true. Now, Colossians 2 and verse 9 and 10, it says, In him, talking about Jesus Christ, 
dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him. Which means because I have Jesus Christ and I am in him and he is in me, I have him who is holy and true with me all the time. And because I have Jesus Christ in him who is holy and true, I am holy in him. I am true in him because I am in Christ Jesus. And not only that, he gives me the power and the ability to live a holy, true life because Jesus Christ is in me. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and he is in you and you are in him. So I am him today who is holy and true. Isn't that great news? Can't do it without Jesus. We're not a thing without the Lord, but in him, he is holy and true, and we can be as well. Then the second thing you see about Jesus Christ, this great encouraging word, is also found in verse number seven. It says, who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, nobody can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus has all authority to open and to close. Now, he says something here remarkable. I have the keys of David. David, of course, was the most honored king of the nation of Israel. And Jesus Christ himself is of the lineage and the tribe of Judah and, and, of, and, and, through the, and David through his heir. And so he is of the person of David. And so, so he says, I have authority to rule and reign as king because I hold the keys. I have the keys of David. And what I open, nobody can shut. And what I close, nobody can open that up. Now, when you talk about keys, keys talk about access. And so if I'm going out of town, my wife and I are leaving town, and, and we wanna give the keys to our neighbor, and we say, here's the keys, water the plants, put the mail on the shelf, you know, do whatever you need to do. What I'm doing is I'm giving them authority to enter into my house. So keys all, all, always represent authority or access. And he says, I have the keys to open up the door no matter what it may be. And, he, and, and not only does he have the keys or the authority to open the door, but he has all power to go along with that authority. Because he says, when I open the door, nobody can shut it. When I close the door, no one can open it. So I have the authority to open and close, but I have the power to keep it open or to keep it closed. So he has all authority and he has all power. His decisions cannot be overridden what he says and what he opens and what he does is final. In 1963, there was a federal law passed for the integration of all government institutions, which included colleges and universities. Now, the, the governor of Alabama, a man by the name of George Wallace, ran on a platform of rigid segregationists. In his speech in 1963, in his inauguration speech, he said, we sound the drum for freedom. I say segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever to the cheers of the racist crowd who voted him into office. But in 1963, because of the new federal law and federal statutes, two African-American students challenged uh, George Wallace and challenged the law in Alabama under the new federal law and they enrolled in the University of Alabama. So the governor himself stood at the doorway 
He basically said, and we don't have time to show the whole clip, but he said, as long as I'm governor, nobody is going to come through this door. No African-American. This is a segregationist state, and they cannot do that. And so the federal government came in, and they forced the doors to be open. Take a look at this clip. We are winning in this fight because we are awakening the American people to the dangers that we have spoken about so many times, which is so evident today, the trend toward military dictatorship in this country. We shall now return to Montgomery for the purpose of continuing this fight, this constitutional fight, because we are winning. And it is my prayer that God above shall bless all the people of this state, both white and black. This then is the moment when Governor George Wallace of Alabama walked away from the schoolhouse door. Isn't that awesome? Listen, he thought he could close the door, but a higher authority and a higher power said, you've got to move aside. You've got to open up the door for all to enter. Jesus Christ says, I have the keys. And when I open a door, I have all authority. And nobody can ever shut that door. And when I close the door, I keep it closed, and no one can ever open that door. I, uh, so what, what, what's he talking about when the word talks about open doors, closed doors? What, what do you think he's referencing here? I, I think he's talking about access into the kingdom of God. Now, now listen to me here. Follow me on this line of thought here. In verse number nine, it said, there are those of the synagogue of Satan who are persecuting the church. He said they call themselves Jews, but they are really liars because they're not true Jews. They didn't know their Messiah, and they were adding rules and laws and regulation to the gospel of grace. And so he said they're not Jews at all. And they were persecuting the church in Philadelphia. When you come to the end of the chapter, he says, I will cause those who come against you to bow down to you. And so we know that the church in Philadelphia is going through amazing persecution because the Jews thought the only access into the kingdom of God was by becoming a Jew. So you had to be circumcised. You had to follow the Jewish laws and traditions and customs. Uh, and, and you had to do certain things in order to become a Jew, become a Jewish proselyte or whatever the case may be. And they were trying to close the door to all those who were being saved by grace through faith. And yet Jesus Christ says, you know what? When I open the door of grace, no man, no one can come against you. No one can shut that door. And I will tell you, when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he blew the doors open to the kingdom of God. When his blood was spilled, when he gave his life for us, he granted access for, for anybody who will call upon the name of the Lord that they can be saved and nobody can stop that from happening. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? You know, the Bible says when he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. There was a veil in the temple. It separated from the holy place from the holy of holies. But the word of God says when he cried out, it is finished, he took the veil and he ripped it from all the way from the top, all the way down from the bottom, uh, signifying that now entrance has been made through the one sacrifice, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ into the presence of Almighty God because he opened up the door. 
through the sacrifice of himself. The, the, the writer of Hebrews says that veil that was torn was the veil of his flesh. And so when he died on Calvary and that blood flowed out, it was opening up the door into the presence of the living God for every single one of us. And he says, when I open the door, nobody can close it. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. The door has been opened today. Listen to John 10 and verse nine. He says, I am the gate And it says in the King James Version, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So he is the door, but he is the entryway by which we come into the kingdom of God. They will come in, they will go out, and they will find pasture. So the open door speaks of coming into the kingdom of God. I open the door. They can't close it on you. And then, and then as we take that a step further, I believe that open door represents access to the harvest. And so there's an amazing harvest field all around us, and God opens doors unto the harvest field. Now, I said Philadelphia was a gateway to the east, or, or to the west, east, I think. Yeah, gateway to the east. They already had access to the east to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God was opening that door for that church, an incredible opportunity. And as they have been faithful with the little strength they had, God is going to give them greater opportunities of faithfulness. The word says if we are faithful in a few things, uh, he will give us ruler over much. He will make us faithful over much. And so as we're faithful in the things that God gives us along the way, he will give us greater opportunities for the kingdom of God. And that's the way the church in Philadelphia was. He was setting before them an open door. But we also got to understand the word says, and when I close a door, nobody can open it. So he closes doors as well. Now, how does that occur in the spread of the gospel? Turn to Acts chapter 16. You see exactly how it happens in the early church. Paul now is on his second missionary journey. He's taken the gospel. He's already gone on one, and now he and Silas are setting off on their second missionary journey. They always go back and revisit the churches they established, and then they were going to launch new churches as well. And look at what happens in verse number six. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, don't you think they're lost people in Asia? And you can imagine for the Apostle Paul, who's starting churches, who is a preacher, who wants to preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit says, no, not here. Wow. He closes the door. And when they came to the border of Mysia and tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of God would not allow them to. So once again, he closes the door to those two regions. So they passed by Mysia, and they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had in a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, what's the he is being led by the Holy Spirit of God, and he's following those open doors or those closed doors. And so the Holy Spirit closes the door to Asia. Why? Because he wanted the gospel to get to Macedonia and then down to Greece and then eventually to the city of Rome, which is the seat of the Roman Empire. Had he have gone up to Asia, none of that may have ever happened. But Paul, sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, follows that door that he closes. God will close doors, but because, but then he turned around and he opened the door to Macedonia. He sees a vision of a man over there, and now we're not sure who that man was because when he gets to the city of Philippi in Macedonia, he finds a group of women down by the river. 
They didn't even have a synagogue in the city of Philippi because you had to have at least 10 Jews to have a synagogue in any city. And so they find a little Bible study down by the riverside, but a lady there, Lydia, becomes the first convert in Macedonia. And look what happens. Jump down to verse number 14. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. We talked about that as being one of the churches who was a worshiper of God. And look what it says. And the Lord opened, everybody say opened. Opened opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And so the Holy Spirit opens up her heart. She is saved. She gives her life to the Lord. and, And her house becomes the first church in the city of Philippi. Why? Because God opened the door. He closed one door and he opened up another. And so I think it ties in in our thought with the spread of the gospel and open doors of opportunity. Now listen to me. It is amazing what God is doing at Faith Church. Let me tell you about some doors that he is opening up through the Holy Spirit of God. Lieber, prison, very much on lockdown now, and it has pretty much been closed in some respects. Some groups could go in and out of there, but for all intents and purposes, it was very difficult to get into Lieber to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this coming September, we hope to go in and open Lieber Church, and we'll be able to go in that chapel in there, and we'll be able to have services every Sunday morning preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe that many of those prisons, prisoners are going to give their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ and God is going to open up the heavens over that place and there'll be a whole new spiritual atmosphere over Libra because of the power of the gospel and when God opens the door nobody can close it he's opening up a door in Ridgeville we are opening up a new campus there and that campus will launch on September the 9th in a school there while we're going to be in the process of building a building right there on Interstate 26 and Cypress Campground Road. And we're going to have a church in the Ridgeville community, Ridgeville area. All the growth of the Tri-County area is going up that way. And it's going to be amazing. And God is opening these doors. He's opening up a door in Walterboro. This coming Thursday morning, I close on a new facility right in downtown Walterboro, a prime location that we will go in and renovate and turn into a church that will have an impact in Callaton County, uh, a place where there's high crime, a place where it's a very rough area, a place where there's really not very few life-giving churches, and we're going to go into Walterboro and plant a life-giving church right in the heart of that city. I want to tell you, God is opening doors like never before. It is amazing what the Lord is doing. Starting, starting, God has already opened up a door to our high schools. We are feeding now on Friday nights when football season starts up. We feed the home teams that when they come in Cane Bay, we support Cane Bay and feed them here. In another campus, they're feeding Goose Creek. In another campus, they're feeding Fort Dorchester. And we give them food, and then we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of those football players will never enter a church door, but they can hear the gospel of Jesus, know how to be saved, how to come to know the Lord. Lord, and God has set before us open doors that are amazing. 
This fall, we are, we are hosting a group here that deals with veterans. They will be in our church, uh, especially those who have post-traumatic stress disorder. And listen, there are a lot out there who are hurting, who have been through war in Afghanistan and other parts of the world, and, and even dating back to the days of Vietnam and all that's gone on in Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And yet, we're going to have a group here that's going to minister life to these veterans who are shattered and messed up, and, and we're going to love on them and share the gospel and share with one another and see what God is going to do. This fall, we have an opportunity to work with the cancer organization. We're going to minister to cancer survivors. And so we've got people who have been healed by cancer, who are cancer survivors. They're going to be attached to somebody who is going through cancer right now. We're going to volunteer and take them to their chemo treatments or wherever else they need to go. We'll have a small group for those who are going through cancer, those who have come through it. And, and we're going to partner with those guys in helping those who are struggling right now. We want to be a church that ministers to those who are going through these kinds of heartaches and trials. We have parents of special needs children, and many of them now are coming to the church because we offer special needs care for our kids who have special needs, and we'll have a support group and a small group for them that they can come together and love each other and care of each other. Listen, I want to tell you, there is no end to the open doors that God has before us right now. We are poised. And even though we may be small and in, in, in weak in, in, in terms of Philadelphia like them because we're anchored to him who is true, him who is holy, him who has the keys, uh, he'll open doors for us just because God is faithful. Hallelujah. Open doors. He has the keys and all authority. Now, Philadelphia faced obstacles and opportunities. As the gateway to the east, they had amazing opportunities before that, but they also had obstacles. They had people who were coming against them, challenging them, fighting them, making it hard for them. The difference between an obstacle and an opportunity is how you view the greatness of God. If you are not looking through the eyes of faith, everything becomes an obstacle. We don't have enough money, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough personnel, we, don't have all, we have all the reasons why it won't work. But when you begin to view it through the lens of him who is faithful and true, who opens and closes door, who has all authority, you'll begin to view it as an opportunity, as an open door that God has given you. And so you begin to move through those open doors as God sets them in. And how do you do that? You walk through by faith. Listen, the children of Israel... They have, uh, God has raised up a new generation under Joshua. It's time to go into the promised land. The Jordan River is there, and they've got to cross this river, and the Bible says it was at flood stage. And so he's trying to show how closed that door was. But he gave them the word. He said, listen, have the priests go first, have them carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and when they step into the water, I'll stop the flow and you can cross on dry ground. All they had to go on was the word of the Lord. And so what do they do? They obey. They, the priests come there. They put their feet in the water and it piles all the way up and the entire nation of Israel crosses on dry ground. They take the city of Jericho and one by one they begin to possess the promised land. But they had they have never obeyed the word of the Lord had they never stepped out and stepped into the water. They would have never crossed the Jordan River and remained on the other 
other side. And so, so we've got to move and operate through the eyes of faith, hear the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We obey what God tells us to do and he blows the door wide open. Opportunities are obstacles. Now let me give you just a personal word of caution here. Not every opportunity is an open door from God. For your own, if you're seeking God's will, God's direction, God's plan for your life, whatever it may be, let me say it again, not every opportunity is an open door from God and not every failure is a closed door. But as you are faithful to God, like the church in Philadelphia, you will grow in your understanding, you'll grow in your discernment, you'll grow in following the voice of the Holy Spirit of God, and you'll be able to discern which open doors are really from God and which are not, and which closed doors are really for God and which are not. You see, sometimes we wanna pray for open doors, and we say, God, give me this, and God, bless me with this, and God, give me this opportunity and that opportunity, and, and, and we never pray for closed doors. But the word says, the word to the church of Philadelphia, I am he who opens doors and I am he that closes doors. And so we've got to understand that sometimes God will allow doors to close. And so when we pray, we say, God, I want to follow your leading, your direction. God, not my will be done, but your will be done. And if it's not your will, prevent it from happening or show me something that's going wrong here or create a restlessness in my spirit that I don't jump through that or help me to learn how to hear your voice because God opens doors, but he also closes doors. And we need to be willing and ready to accept either opportunity that God puts before us. So what an encouraging word. Jesus is holy, he's true, he has the keys, he has all authority. But there's a third word of encouragement that he brings to this church in Philadelphia. And he says in verses 10 to 13 that Jesus will return and he will reward. What an encouragement for a church that is going through trials and tests at this time. Let me read it to you again. Revelation 3 and 10 says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will write on him a new name. Now, now it says, I will keep him from the hour of trial that's about to come upon him. That word from in the Greek language is a little word ek, E-K. It literally means out of or shielded from or kept away from something. And so what he's saying is, I'm gonna take them out of the hour or keep them from the hour of that trial. It is consistent with his character who said in verse number nine, I have loved thee, and because I have loved thee, I'm gonna keep you when I come again from that hour of trial. It was a promise to his people that this trial that is gonna come upon the world, he's gonna take them out of that or keep them from that. Now you say, what are you talking about? Listen, there is a time coming upon the earth known as the Great Tribulation. 
We're going to stop here in, in chapter 3, but when you get to chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, it talks about a time of the outpouring of God's wrath upon the earth. It talks about judgments that God is going to bring. There are bold judgments, vile judgments, trumpet judgments, a series of seven, seven, seven judgments that are going to be outpoured upon this earth. It's going to end with a battle in, at the end of, the book of, uh, end of Revelation, about 19, called the Battle of Armageddon, where there's going to be a battle upon the earth, a worldwide conflict that's going to come. But he promises the church in Philadelphia, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to keep you from that hour of trial and you will be taken away. Now I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians 2 and I want you to look at verse number 7. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 7. It says there, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. How many know the enemy's at work today? He's at work. Lawlessness at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until so to do so till he is taken out of the way. There is a restraining influence in the world today that is keeping lawlessness from going crazy. And when the lawless, and, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Now, what is it that is keeping this man of lawlessness or this iniquity from being let loose upon the earth? What is it that hinders Satan from taking complete control? What, what is it that keeps that world government, world dictatorship, all that we see in the book of Revelation, what is it that keeps all that from happening? What is it that keeps the, the great tribulation from bursting upon the world? I believe it is the presence from the, of the Holy Spirit inside his church. But there's going to come a day, he describes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain will be caught up to join with them in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We call that event the rapture of the church. And I believe a day is coming when God is going to come back. He describes that there's going to be a trumpet sound and the voice of the archangel and then Jesus Christ himself will come back and will take us home. We will be taken out before the man of lawlessness is revealed. When he is revealed, the Antichrist will set up his government upon the earth, upon the world. And it will be a time, uh, there's a lot of imagery of this in the Old Testament and in the New. Time of Jacob's trouble, a time of God's wrath. But he takes his church out before that happens. Revelation. Now you say, Pastor, wait a minute. Why does he tell this to the church at Philadelphia if it's been 2,000 years since that was written, give or take, a little, little less than that, 2,000 years since John wrote that, since Jesus Christ said that, and, and Jesus didn't come back in their lifetime, why would he tell them that? It's a great question. There has always been with the New Testament writers that the church should live with an expectancy that God could come at any moment, at any time, because that living with that expectancy of the return of my Lord Jesus Christ helps me to rearrange my priorities to understand there's something eternal and this life is passing away. And he could come back at any day, any time. The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour of his return. We don't know at what time he is coming back. We don't know what time 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is going to occur. But it will occur. Why? Because he is holy and true. And if he said in his word, it's going to come to pass. 
And he is coming back for his church. And so here's the deal. Now, hypothetically, if you thought he was coming back tomorrow, it would affect how you live your life today. You would probably get on your knees and start praying. You'd probably call everybody up you know and say, listen, man, you gotta get right with God. He could, he's coming back tomorrow. I wanna make sure you go to heaven with me. I wanna make sure you're not lost. I wanna make sure you know Jesus because we live with a sense of urgency and expectancy that he could come back at any time. Sometimes we fall asleep. We fail to tell others. And so it affects the way we live our life now. And it's exactly the case with the church in Philadelphia and the church of every single generation. He goes on to say, to him who overcomes, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now remember how every letter is kind of geared for where the church is at. Philadelphia was on a fault line. And they had had an earthquake in 17 BC that rocked the city. Many of the temples fell over. Many of those pillars in those temples fell over and they were destroyed in the earthquake. But he says, you know what? I'm gonna make you my church, my bride. You're gonna be like a pillar in the temple of my God. And I'll write my name on it. And you know what they would do? If there was somebody famous or, or a, or a philanthropist or somebody very special in that city, they would take and they would write the name of that person on that pillar. And so they found pillars that were excavated with names of people, names of Greeks and Romans who were on there. They were written on the names of those pillars. He says, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God and I'll write my name on you and you'll have my new name and, and I'm giving it to you. He says, That's what I have for my church. That's what I have for my bride. It's a picture of strength. And so he writes to a church that he says, Philadelphia, I see you. You have little strength. You're gonna be a pillar in my temple. It's, it's men and women like you that I'll build the kingdom of God. Men and women like you that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if you're faithful and hold on, I'll, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. He said the church at Philadelphia had little strength, but they were faithful and they held on and God was pleased. Listen, I don't need the faith to move a mountain. All I need is the faith to have as a grain of mustard seed, but I know the mountain moving God. And if I have just that little bitty ounce of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he can say to that mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and it will be done. I may have a little strength, but I, if I hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's hanging on to me, who loves me, who gave his life for me, if I hold on to the one who is holy and true, hold on. He has the keys of David. He has all power and all authority and all might. The Lord takes the weak things of this world to shame the wise. And one day when this world, he says, one day the world's gonna bow at your feet. It's not that because we're anything, because I'm sitting next to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says before him, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And because I will be ruling and reigning with him, they will also be at our feet. Wow. So listen today, if you're feeling weak, hold on. It'll make you a pillar in the temple of a God. You feel like letting go, never. He said he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Hold on. If God opens a door, then look for that opportunity that God sets before us. 
and begin to see that through the eyes of faith. And if he shuts the door, we wait patiently for God's will and God's timing. But above all, hold on, hold on to him who is true, him who is holy, he who has all authority today. Winston Churchill, during World War II, the Lufthansa was coming over and they kept flying, running air raids every night over England. And they were bombing that nation and bombing that city to smithereens. And, and, and Winston Churchill was such an inspiration to that nation. And, he, and his message to them was, hold on. And he described a bulldog. He said, do you know why the nose of a bulldog is sloped backwards? So it can keep on breathing without ever letting go. Hallelujah. Hold on to Jesus Christ. He loves you so much. He gave his life for you. We may feel like we have little strength, but in him, I have everything I need. I have the grace of almighty God and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be with me. He's faithful. He's true. He's holy. He has authority. Everything I need is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.